Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Everybody and welcome back to New Books and Comic Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Dr. Elizabeth Woke, host of the channel, and today I'll be talking to Dr. Esther Sepp about her new book, Comics and the Body: Drawing, Reading, and Vulnerability, which was published by the Ohio State University Press in 2020. Dr. Esther Sepp works for the promotion and advancement of comics in various roles. She teaches comics and visual culture studies at the Mole Nagy University of Art and Design and at the Milestone Institute of Advanced Studies, which are both in Budapest, Hungary. She was the director of the International Comics Festival Budapest between 2019 and 2023, and she often writes about comics for international and Hungarian websites and journals, and is the book reviews editor of the Journal of Graphic Novels and Comics. In 2022, she edited two publications of her students' comics. One, the title translated from Hungarian is, Did I Remember It Brightly? And the second is, It Used to Be Easy, Comics About Growth and Change. Most importantly, she believes theory should not be separate from practice. Esther Sepp's book, Comics in the Body, is the first book to examine the roles of the body in both drawing and reading comics within a single framework. Focusing on graphic autobiography and reportage, she argues that the bodily performances of creators and readers produce a dialogue that requires both parties to experience and engage with vulnerability, thus presenting a crucial opportunity for ethical encounters between artist and reader. She considers visceral representations of bulimia, pregnancy, the effects of STIs, the catastrophic injuries of war, and more in the works of Linda Berry, Kendall, Katie Green, Miriam Catton, and Joe Sacco. She argues that comics are made by expressive lines that mark the unison of movement and thinking, and they are interpreted not simply visually, but also by and via the reader's body. The way creators and readers interact with each other via nonfiction comics can be seen as embodied engagement with their own and with others' vulnerabilities. Engagement with comics takes place on the one hand, by the involvement of the drawer and the reader's bodies, and, on the other hand, by interacting with the materiality of the actual comics that is mediating the interaction. Comics can thus be thought of as a mediated interaction, Esther Sepp says, between three bodies, those of the drawer, the reader, and object, the actual comic. In this interview, Dr. Sepp talks about the importance of the line or the trace, how reading comics is a give-and-take experience, and reflects on the act of making comics in her own practice. Dr. Esther Sepp, welcome to the show. Uh, Esther, could you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background leading up to the book? Hi, Ali. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, So I'm Esther Sepp. I research and teach comics, and uh, recently comics have become more and more important in my life, particularly in in a teaching context, and I really enjoy that. Um, I started off as a literature scholar, and now I teach comics making, so that's something that I never expected to happen to me, and I'm so happy that it did. 
Um, so I met comics as an adult uh, after my MAs um, during my gap year when I tried to escape from society. And um, so I started um, spending more and more time with pictures, which ended up transforming into a PhD in photography and literature because I just couldn't get away from literature. And at my very, very first conference, which was gendered representations of war, um, I quite accidentally spoke about some war comics, like the famous ones, like Persepolis, Mouse, Miriam Katyn's works. So the very basic one, and I think a lot of academics start with these works or works that are very similar to this. So yeah, it's a very stereotypical first conference, but I still consider myself a photography and literature PhD student. However, at the breaks, there were there were people coming to me recommending me more and more comics. Like, have you heard about Joe Sacco? Or you should check out this and that. And nobody was talking about photography to me. And that was a very big and nice influence. Um, and at that time, it was very easy in Hungary to change your PhD topic. So I was doing my PhD in Budapest, Hungary. And I was digesting this new input for a while. And after a while, I, I changed my topic into comics and um, trying to find an angle where where I could contribute to comic scholarship in a meaningful way took also some time. So I didn't want to repeat what others have been saying. And, um, you know, from Eastern Europe, you have a limited access to comics themselves because you don't have comics archives. Uh, the universities don't necessarily subscribe to journals. So um, finding the angle, finding where um, I can enter into comic studies in a relevant way was very um, was something that I really focused on. And a scholarship to the USA really helped me, you know, dig into an archive and and have access to not only comics but books on art and. Um, so I ended up with a very interdisciplinary approach that um, I think is very much like me. So, so an approach that uh, where I could unite my passion for dance and performance and comics and drawing and um, vulnerability and pain and <laughs> all these topics that um, somehow united in my head during this process of research and writing and that ended up being my book, Comics and the Body. Great. And if I can dive right into one of the concepts that you started out with in the book that uh, jumped out at me, you use the concept of identification or identification by adoption, which you say comes from Marianne Hirsch's essay, Marked by Memory, Feminist Reflections on Trauma and Transmission from 22, uh, sorry, 2002. Uh, could you elaborate on, on how that fits into comics? Yeah, so trauma scholarship and studying how trauma is represented and taught and remembered um, has been an important step on, on this journey of research. And um, I was reading Marianne Hirsch a lot. Um, and um, allo identification is just one of the terms that comes up in, in the book uh, for, for um, finding a name to the question, like how can we... Um, understand somebody else's trauma or feeling or um, anxiety without appropriating it, without going too close to it, 
or, but, and also without being too far from it. So this finding the position from which we can engage with the other has been very important uh, for Marion Hirsch as well as in my book. And and like the whole book is about balancing this distance between the self and, and the other, between the reader and the book object, or as I'm doing nonfiction, as I'm analyzing nonfiction comics between the stories that are claimed to be nonfiction. So how is that um, distance navigated? And so as I was reading from various disciplines, it turned out that um, a lot of um, scholars are studying the same problem, the problem of empathy, um, and they have different names for that, but they are talking about very similar experiences. So from literature, literary scholars to art historians and art practitioners and um, art theorists and just philosophers, like this seems to be a question in our time. And um, so, yeah, allo identification comes from my literature times or literary studies times, but I really loved relying on... <laughs> these epochs of, of research, but I think most people go through a, an unexpected journey during their um, PhD years or when they have the time to actually think, uh, which um, diminishes as, as one, one scholarship run out, runs out. Um, so anyway, Jill Bennett um, was talking about effective transactions, um, and um, I love the idea of considering engaging with art or engaging with comics specifically as transactions um, where you can get and give um, and it is effective and effect theory has again been something that influenced me greatly and I that didn't expect to happen to me so effective because we don't only think with our brains but actually we are thinking with our bodies uh, we are making sense of the world with the help of our bodies and um, so the more and more I read about these um, ideas, the more and more I realized that the body in comics is just a super important and exciting question. And it hasn't been studied to the extent that it deserves to be studied. Um, and, and I arrived to this angle of studying the body in comics um, from um, the direction of drawing. So... I was not so much interested in how people, groups, social groups, minorities are represented, but how in the act of transacting via comics, via making and reading, how the body is involved in that. So I, um, comic scholarship is very visual. It seems to be obvious because we are looking at images, but I wanted to go beyond that um, to include... Uh, more senses to include the context in which comics are made or interpreted and for this um, considering how comics affect and make effect um, has been like a, um, a very exciting journey and as I, m I mentioned that I arrived at this from the direction of drawing so um, I was very interested in the line, the nature of the line. As a PhD student, I read a single article about this, like quite naively. I, it was just one of the many articles that I read, you know, in my free time. PhD students have very perverse hobbies, like reading academic articles. 
And then it turned out to be changing my life completely. So this article, it was written by Jared Gardner. And it was the first academic study of the line in comics. And um, he said that the line, which is so basic when you are talking about visual storytelling, is a trace of the artist's hand. And um, is um, and this trace is something that I was um, pondering on a lot. Like, how personal is it? To what extent is to what extent? How do you say that in English? Uh, so how how much is the line related to um, the personality, or how much is it related to context, or how much can the line adapt to the meaning that you want to communicate? Because yes, um, different meanings or different genres require different lines, so it can be adapted and applied. So what's the deal with the line? And the line is made by the body. So this is how I arrived at this question of uh, relating movement to thinking, relating the act of making lines to communication and to making autobiographical comics. And you describe your methodology as, and I'm going to quote you here, instead of studying the plots or the characters of the comics in this book, I study the acts of interactions with comics as material objects in acts of drawing and acts of reading. Could you elaborate on this a little bit more? You, you touched on it a little bit with that idea of transaction. Um, I remember this moment when I was sitting in the library um, and I had this big heureka moment realizing that uh, comics doesn't only exist on paper and it's not only visual, but it's a network and um, it's situated and it's so much dependent on the artist who is making it and the reader and the bodies and then I've theorized um, or like so this uh, necessity almost to study the product the material object together with the situation of reading and together with the situations of making comics like a triangle product artist reader and I had this big moment and then one week later I went back to the library and went to the film studies section and just picked up a random book with a nice cover and the whole thing was there. <laughs> and it turned out that, you know, this has been going on in film studies for decades now. Uh, like um, phenomen Phenomenological film studies is based on this. Um, so it turned out that it's super difficult to say something original, but um, trying to integrate what comes from film studies to what is going on in comic studies, where we also talk about visceral engagement or philosophy, where we talk about ethical encounters. That has been um, super productive to me. And um, this is something new that I try to, try to represent in my research. Um, I don't remember the quote that you were reading. I already forgot it. Um, That's the instead of plots and characters, the acts and drawing and acting. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, so what is going on quite a lot in comic studies is that um, we take a very, very important problem from society or contemporary culture um, or from anthropology and we use comics to represent the issues that we are what we want to deal with and these are super important issues obviously um but 
how comics is made or what is so unique in comics sometimes becomes secondary because we are primarily interested in the political conflict or in the social phenomenon or or in the literary trend. And as here in Eastern Europe, I didn't have such a big archive. I very early on saw that this direction is not available to me. So I needed to go back to the roots to uh, making comics and to our own bodies, which are so diverse and which make the experience with comics unique each time we read comics. Yeah, we, we can all relate to grabbing a book off the shelf because it has an interesting cover and it turns out to be absolute treasure. And I, I hope all the young people who are doing most of their research online get a chance to go into a library and have that experience as well. Um, so your case studies depict, I'm going to be maybe a, a unjust uh, characterizing it like this, but it depicts many layers of suffering, which you uh, uh, characterize as stories of frequently uh, occurring about injustice, illness, trauma, death, war. Um, can embodied joy or contentment also be vulnerable or does uh, the embodiment of positive uh, feelings or positive affect differ from the embodiment of the negative? So I think embodiment is always situated. So the embodiment of um, suffering will be very different from uh, engaging with the same or almost the same suffering in a different different context. Um, and yes, this book, now that I am wiser and uh, two or three years have passed, so I see that this book has some limitations um, resulting from the position of uh, an Eastern European PhD student. So this is not my PhD. It has been completely reworked and about one third of it is only my PhD. But for example, when I chose the the actual comics that are analyzed in this book or that I use as, as case studies, those were um, very much focusing on trauma and suffering and eating disorders and stuff like that because I come from this trauma studies angle and... Um, uh, it's not very scientific, but also because these are the books that you can order on Amazon. So um, I think we have to talk about the geopolitical global distribution of knowledge and what to what we have access. And um, and so if if you buy your comics on Amazon and you try to find information from various newsletters, whatever, um, it will be book format comics that become affordable. So that's that's one limitation based on just my my position being a person living in, in Budapest, Hungary. And I had this very deep personal interest in nonfiction comics. So the whole book is dealing with autobiographical stories or comics journalism. But since its publication, I've talked to scholars of superhero comics or just scholars of other stuff. And, and many people told me that they found my studies of nonfiction comics useful because it seems to... Some of the statements seem to be true for fictional comics too. So uh, there were people who said that I shouldn't have limited myself to to the study of nonfiction because um, engagement and uh, how the body is involved in in making meaning is always present. So that's true. But I still needed an angle for my for my book. Um, and um, one thing that 
may have led to this overrepresentation of pain and violence is that, um, especially in the second part of the book where I focus on reading, so the first part focuses on making comics, the second part on, on reading comics, I'm interested in comics that are somehow unusual in their shapes, formats, or material characteristics, um, because I had this presupposition that um, if something is more unusual, then then you are less habituated and you fo- you do not follow your routine, your reading routine so much because the book or the comic doesn't let you. Um, and so this, again, is something that led me to find some comics with unusual materialities or representations of non-fiction elements, life or pain in surprising ways, which which is again a bias because these processes of effective engagement and ethical encounter with an individual via the drawn line or via a drawn story happens in comics that have more traditional format. Um, that said, I talked to a friend of mine who is an artist and who is drawing comics comedy. And she said that when she was reading my chapter on Linda Berry, she just could not take it. So she said that this is completely not true in her life. Uh, that she draws differently. And yes, of course, movement is super important in thinking and movement generates not only the lines, but also thoughts. And what I'm writing is that comics can be a dialogue or making lines is actually a dialogue with the line where the line can influence what is happening. So it's a performance, an improvisation, a dialogue. She said that she's doing things differently. Um, And so this was a very important discussion to me um, because it showed that there is no one theory to describe everything. And yes, my, my ideas focusing on stories of uh, vulnerability and moments um, where the artists create um, a context for sharing moments of extreme vulnerable positions or extreme physical or mental pain. These kinds of comics might work in a way that I describe, but there are so many different other kinds of comics and so many different other comics artists and readers that my model doesn't need to be true for all, for all contexts, right? Um, so, yes, there is a, a lot of pain and suffering in the book because it, um, it is an extreme position and just helps us save some time <laughs> in seeing how um, engagement with the other via comics, via the material object of comics, um, it requires risk from both parties, from both the reader and both the artist and requires reaching and arriving at um position where a transaction or where engagement or where an ethical encounter can happen. So this topic just makes it easier to see, but I believe that it can be there in other kinds of comics too. And I think that it's super important to talk about these meeting points in comics or in culture because we have less and less meeting points. We have more and more debates on social media, whatever. So, so um, like personally, I think that um, that approaching um, 
comics reading or engagement with art or engagement with literature uh, as a way of finding um, empathy or, or arriving at an ethical encounter is something that we need in the, in the 21st century. Yeah, I think you chose your framework and your case study as well for uh, what you were getting at in your book. And which of the case studies or those comics, which has stuck in your mind the most? Uh, the book has two parts, uh, as I said, um, and five chapters within those two parts. And it's structured in a way that we start by a general theoretical introduction, which is quite long. But uh, but um, it has a lot of... Uh, um, like I tried to provide context in detail and in a language that is accessible. <laughs> and um, the chapters um, follow an order of complexity of how drawing becomes more and more complex. So the first chapter is about making lines and the kind of dialogue with the line on the page. And it's not necessarily a line to draw a figure, just like a random line, an abstract line. And the second chapter is about drawing characters and redrawing characters repeatedly which is so basic in comics from panel to panel you would draw the same character and I found this um, one comic uh, Monsters by Kendall which um, plays with um, always giving a new shape to the character and it has it is very rich in meaning Um, chapter number three is about the background and and uh, maybe that is my favorite one because we do not really pay attention to backgrounds. And and this chapter, just like the first one, was written by accident. So I was do- dealing with something completely different, wanting to write about, I don't know, representations of war or some big topic. And then I realized that, oh, my God, the backgrounds are a lot more interesting than than the big representation of the First World War type of of uh, of study or or research, so I, the third chapter on on backgrounds and how drawing the background, the quality of the lines used in the background, the times. This is a Joe Sacco's comics um, use uh, hatching, so very thin lines drawn repeatedly to fill a surface, and um, I saw a lot of ethical meaning in that, like. It, time-wise, uh, like dwelling with a character who is testifying about a war atrocity or a personal trauma that happened to them. I'm looking at comics in this chapter that show the um, war in Bosnia um, in the early 1990s. Um, so yeah, so it's about the background and maybe that is my my favorite one. And I talked to Joe Sacco about it and then he said... I haven't thought about that. <laughs> so actually, the artist is uh, the artists are not to be used as validation or 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 anything for our backgrounds, um, for our um, stories because the and it's a, most of um, what we do, making meaning, creating, is not rational and not conscious. And reading some neuroscience and some. Uh, cognitive science for this book has been very um, interesting to me um, seeing how much is there done by the body, done by by this uh, complex human being that is so much more than a brain or so much more more than a brain and a hand if you talk about comics artists 
and and um, how um, meaning is generated by the body and is not conscious. So I I was not taken aback by by Josako saying that he didn't think about the backgrounds because I did, and I spent hours studying his comics, and I could feel all that patience and engagement that was definitely present when he did not simply go to the survivors of the Bosnian war and interview them and live with them, but also when he spent years uh, with making a comic about them. So uh, just very quickly about the last two chapters, which are about the reader and how the reader can engage in um, engage with the comics by uh, with the can be part of this uh, transaction of effect and empathic uh, uh, in- ethical encounter. Um, so I'm I'm studying. Um, what am I studying? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> um, Miriam Caden's uh, memoirs about being a survivor in in the Second World War of of uh, the Holocaust and these memoirs are important to me personally because uh, she comes from Hungary um, and she has Eastern European settings in her comics and I find them very very relatable Uh, and here I deal with how the reader can respond to the representation of abject topics for example of uh, of um page designs or page layouts that are super shocking and then in the last chapter i step away from the page from the surface of the page to um, a bigger um scale uh, embodied interaction like interacting with the comic book as object with our whole bodies and this is where I use super big comics, super heavy comics, or or uh, comics that are shaped like an accordion. So this is the logic of the book, and maybe uh, the the ones um, on cross hatching and and the representation of backgrounds, the lack of realism, the qualities of the lines, has been staying with me the most. And is there any section of the book that you would like to expand on, perhaps in a different project? Yeah, so I um, I had a lot of ideas when I finished the book. I wanted to add so much more chapters. Uh, I would definitely be interested in studying fictional comics or completely different comics with the help of this toolkit and with the help of this framework. But so far, I haven't found the time where I just maybe have been too lazy to do that. (laughs) I haven't decided yet which one it is. Um, The comic has also uh, allowed me to read a lot of art theory um, reflections of artists on how they make art, which made me super interested in production. And um, I currently have a project... um, that tries to connect design and design theory with how comics are made. Um, But this is a very initial stages. And I think what really stayed with me and what I have been carrying on and um, expanding on in the past years is comics making. So the last chapter or the conclusion of the book is uh, done in a comics format. Um, I tried to represent all these abstract ideas, um, very contextualized uh, 
theories coming from different disciplines, uh, represent them as comics in a very tangible way. I really enjoy doing this comic and I've been making comics ever since. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what I'm taking on, uh, representing arguments in comics. And uh, in the book, you, you're not only talking about these situations of suffering like war and, and uh, eating disorders, things like that. Uh, you highlighted the suffering of the act of drawing. Uh, and uh, you quoted uh, Jan Baton's and Hugo Frey's uh, uh, a statement that drawing is, and I quote, an extremely labor-intensive, repetitive, virtually boring, exasperating, and desperately disheartening activity that can lead many artists to extreme states of depression. Uh, you contextualize this also with Linda Berry's work. You are also drawing. Uh, could you elaborate on on this, the the piazza of drawing? I also would like to add that drawing is fun, creative, and you never notice how much time you spent on that because it's just so engaging. But both at the same time, it's Schrodinger's perfect activity, drawing. Um, so yes, there is this aspect of pain and isolation in it. Um, some artists use drawing as therapy or people can use drawing as, as therapy. I'm not going there in the book, so I'm not um, using comics for psychology or I'm not looking for these kinds of answers. Um, but that's also something that I see in my students that you can overburden, overburden yourself with, with comics or with drawing very easily. Um, I'm... But that's something that you can do with anything. So I, I don't think <laughs> comics would be anything special in this regard. Um, but we have to say that comics is done alone most of the time. So this allows one to experience flow, but also allows one to be alone with one's own vulnerability, especially if the topic of the drawing is so deeply personal and um, maybe even painful. So drawing is a conversation with the line and a conversation with, with yourself. Uh, it's it's a very focused activity, but at the same time, very free. Um, and so I can describe it in terms of contradictions. Um, and I hope that the comic in the end of the book allows the reader to see that Yes, um, vulnerability is one side, but then there is engagement and dialogue um, allowed by drawing um, on the other side. And would you like to go ahead and tell us a little bit more about your process that you used for making that final four-page comic? Uh, you had a quote that you started off with saying, uh, some lines want me to make them and I do not resist, which I thought was very interesting. You also used the word earlier, it's a necessity. <laughs> so uh, could you elaborate on that? Um, absolutely. So I felt that uh, talking or writing about comics so much for 180 pages, is, it's just overwhelming. <laughs> and um, I thought that theory should not or could not be separate from practice. I, I had this need of uniting what I think of comics or all these complicated theories that I challenged myself with 
uniting that with with practice and making. And there are quite a number of comic scholars doing that. Um, um, and I was super inspired by uh, Nick Susanis, obviously, um, who is a, 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 I can say, a friend of mine and whose practice both as a thinker and as an artist and as a as a comics artist and as a teacher has inspired me so much and I felt that like I could not be an authentic author or an authentic um, person or scholar if I did not demonstrate in practice that um, making lines is an engagement that meaning is generated by the body and if like I, I had to include a comic somewhere in in, in the book that is mainly about comics, and um, so I needed some courage to show um, this comic to the to the people. Previously, I've been drawing on it for myself. I'm happy that I could gather this courage and I could step up and print the comic. My friend Lori Kentvast uh, was really instrumental in giving me feedback. On on how I represented abstract ideas, and the quote that you read, some lines want me to make them is is true. So I I really experienced um, that lines have a will on their own, and that if one draws, one um, is in the company of of visual ideas and lines, and uh, which is um, yeah, it's an interaction and dialogue. Um, so I made this comic in a relatively short time, um, and I was working on it like crazy. So not only at home, but also on the train between Leeds and London and, and very, um, extreme locations because, um, the lines really wanted to be visualized. So I had to visualize them. All right. And thank you for the explanation of the process there. Um, I, I feel like we need a whole extra episode just to talk about your making comics. And I hope that uh, uh, we will have a chance to do that sometime. And uh, so after reading your book, I definitely changed how I read comics. I approach them a little bit more like a feral cat where I'm not sure how it's going to behave and like how it's going to interact with me. So we've heard a little bit about you as a comics creator um, since you've used this framework and developed this framework, has it changed how you read and research comics? I have more time to read and read comics now that I'm not working on the book, which is really cool. Um, I pay more attention, I think, to the materiality of comics than before, which is weird to say because the materiality of comics has been so important in my book too. Uh, but, but paper which might sound banal, paper or, or style or geometry are aspects that fascinate me. And I'm looking actively out for comics that, um, that can challenge me with their geometry or with their um, style. Style is something that I'm not writing about in, in this book. And it is something that maybe I should be writing about because I'm very, very curious about it. Mm, what was the question? Sorry. Yeah, have you changed how you read at all? So, um... no, just paying more attention to materiality, and maybe something that changed is that I read more fictional comics. Uh, so the book is so much about nonfiction, more um, autobiography, 
um, that I had to have some distance from that beard for a while. Perfect. And uh, now that you have more time to read comics, <laughs> and also you're making much more comics, could you tell us a little bit about what you're working on now? Is there anything you're excited about? Anything uh, that we can look forward to? Recently, teaching has become very important in my life. Um, so I'm teaching at MoMA University here in Budapest. Um, I teach comics. Uh, and uh, it's just super stimulating in a very different way to to have students make the best comics that they can make um, and to give advice and to see how people solve challenges or puzzles. Um, in my teaching practice, I'm very influenced by Matt Madden and his theory of um, creative constructs that you define a framework in an activity, like make a comic that is done with 20 lines or uh, like a, a very formalist framework which helps the brain and the imagination go wild and uh, I love assisting students with that we have had two collections of students comics so far and I really hope that the third one can come out at the end of the year so it's also great that the university is supporting students by allowing us to edit and publish their works and I have been involved in the Women Powering Comics Project, which I would like to talk a bit more about because it focuses on countries in the Balkans. So these are not comic superpowers, neither Croatia, Hungary, Slovenia, Greece, Serbia or Montenegro is famous for their comics culture, although we have differences, obviously. Um, what this project does is it gives possibilities to women artists or non-male artists, I would say, to go to residences to get inspiration. Our comics cultures are very masculine. So if you go to a comics convention or a festival, most of the people selling comics and buying comics would be men in their 40s. Um, and it's very difficult to, to be an upcoming um, woman or non-binary artist um, in this environment. So this project uh, six countries are involved and the European Union is funding it is super important um, and it also helps with engaging with topics that are difficult to engage with in a very patriarchal uh, society even not only like comics culture or comic subculture but but society so I've been a mentor here and an advisor we finished the residency in Hungary a month ago approximately and uh, like I'm still under the influence of this, like working with 12 amazing artists for, for two weeks, like living with them, breathing the air together and, and creating and getting and giving feedback. That's um, That's been a big project recently. And I hope that the continuation, like the, we have one more year of this project that we bring a lot of fruitful encounters and conversations and opportunities. That sounds amazing. So we will be looking forward to hearing more updates about that. Uh, excellent work. Uh, thank you so much for the book. Thank you so much for your time today. And it's been a pleasure to talk with you.